I'm Aysan and this is the Friday Show. Um, as this weekend's Premier League fixtures have been postponed, we will be looking back at our win over Sevilla and discussing the ramifications of the postponements in an already congested Premier League calendar due to the uh, Winter World Cup. Joining me, I've got Lloyd and Ali this afternoon. Afternoon, Lloyd. Afternoon. How are we? Uh, yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay. Um, yeah, I'm all right. What about you? How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Um, I've got a busy day and I've got a Hawking leaf blower situation upon upon me here, apart from this bloke's um, done Hawking right over and he's got a chainsaw out. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, if, I, if you can hear a big amount of rattling in the background, then apologies, there's not going to be much I can do. No problem. No problem. We'll 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 figure out a way around it. Um, Ali, how are you, sir? I'm okay, thanks, mate. Uh, to the best of my no- oh, best of my knowledge, I don't have a a leather face situation conducting a chainsaw massacre outside my window. But uh, if anything changes on that, I shall let you know. Excellent, excellent. Well, as I said, we don't really have a Spurs game to preview, although we'll discuss a little bit later, kind of what it means for. For us in the uh, in the immediate short term and also in the medium term, the the postponement of this game, and I believe potentially next weekend's game as well, uh, depending on when uh, the state funeral will be. Uh, but for the moment, we are going to look back at City's pretty impressive four nil win over Sevilla on Tuesday night. Um, Lloyd, I'm going to start with you. The lineup, Akanji and Gomez in for Walker and Stones. That that's something that we had discussed on the previous podcast as well. Mm. Whether that could potentially happen because of the injuries. Um, were you surprised that they both got in, or was it just a case of Pep had no choice? Well, as as we discussed, I was a little surprised that Gomez played, just because, as I said at the time, the noises around him were very much. He's not fully trusted yet. He's not um, an option. I think is the is the quote that was used um, in by a lot of the journalists that had obviously come from City. So I thought there's a chance that we'd see Ake at left back, and then um, particularly given that Akanji needed to play. Um, but yeah, um, I mean, please, because and the thing is, I don't have that opinion on Gomez because I've I've watched him loads and I think he's shit. I, I, I basically don't know anything about him apart from you know the odd video and looking at what he did and that last season. So um, I was surprised, but I'd say I was pleasantly surprised. Um, and that was before I saw them play. Um, as for the rest of the team, pretty much as I probably as expected. Good to see Grealish come back in. Mm. Um, that was nice to see. I thought he looked pretty good actually in the game. Um, so yeah, I mean all round. Um, all around pretty happy but I think the, the thing that probably outside of those two that raised my eyebrows the most was just Phil playing again because that's I think that's seven starts out of seven for Phil now in in City's last seven games um, so just you know with what Pep's like you usually expect he likes to rotate the front front players a decent amount so that was you know why that surprise. is don't you you know why Foden keeps starting because he's because he's, he's the sacred cow in this team my friend tried to explain this recently on on social media but people weren't having it phil foden is uh 
arguably City's most important player. So, no, it didn't really surprise me that that he'd start. I was a bit surprised that Maras didn't get in again. Um, hard to call what the reasoning there is. You'd think he would need minutes eventually, but fair enough. I I guess that I guess that I understand it. Um, Ali, I've got a slightly different question for you. Um, I think City have qualified from their Champions League group in nine of the last 10 years. Uh, so basically every year that we've been in the competition, uh, notwithstanding uh, the very, very, very first time. Are these group games, do, do they feel a little bit like, uh, I want to say a nuisance, but like kind of in within the context of the Premier League, these group games, they feel a little less important. Or do you feel that the Champions League has that luster that even the group games are incredibly sexy? That's a really good and and, uh, quite taxing question, mate. Um, I think they feel more comfortable for us with every year that goes past. I think we've um, Mm. we've got beyond the point of uh, being worried about them and, and thinking that we, we might not qualify, you know, pretty much, you know, the entire Pep Guardiola era and probably a few years going back before that as well. Um, but what they are is, it's like, for anyone who, who watches tennis, it's like getting through the first week. If you're, if you're one of the favourites for Wimbledon or the US Open, um, you have to get through the first week uh, and everyone expects that you will get through the first week. If you don't, and if you don't make it to the last eight, the last four, uh, it will be seen as a catastrophe. Um, and because of that, there's still a huge amount of pressure on it. Um, the the stakes are enormously high, even if the game is quite straightforward. Now, when we play uh, group games in the Champions League, uh, we should be strong favourites in six out of six games that we play. Now, that allows us to mess up, potentially, one or two of them and still comfortably get through. But this year, and maybe it doesn't quite answer your question, but it's probably irrelevant, um, I think there's a slightly different pressure this year in considering the fixture congestion and the nature of the the schedule, which, uh, as of the last 24 hours, has not got any easier, um, it's more important than ever that we win our first four games and we go through with two games to spare. Um, If we can have those last two games off in October, basically to play the kids and and whoever else, because we've already topped the group by the time we get to game week five, uh, that will be a huge advantage to us in the season. Um, so while I I don't go into any Champions League group stages worrying about us not qualifying, maybe you know one of these years we might get a, a group like the, the UEFA threw up with uh, what is it, Inter Milan, PSG and Juventus. Is that, am I right in that this year? Um, there's one group, something like that, where you've got three absolutely huge teams in, and we haven't had one of those groups. Uh, if we ever get one again, it could change the equation. Um, but for now, it kind of it feels like a, a, a slightly onerous uh, obligation that we have to go through to win these games, um, and it's something that, as a professional football club made up of you know, 
18, 19, 20 professional football players, uh, it is something they should take on and, and treat with all due respect and seriousness, uh, but equally with you know, appropriate confidence. Mm, it's Bayern Barcelona Inter. In That's the, the one, thank in, you. Yeah. In the same group, which, which yeah. feels very, very tricky. Although, to be quite frank, Ajax, Napoli, Liverpool and Rangers... I think it's very difficult to call right now Ajax, Napoli, Liverpool. Which of those two go through? It is, but only because of the results this week. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and, uh, so, uh, well, so this is what I was going to say, actually, that I, I asked you, I, I threw you a little bit of a hand grenade question, right? And and the reason I, I threw you that, <laughs> the, the reason I threw you that hand grenade question was because I, I, I was thinking about what it is that makes the Champions League different or important in all of its stages and i think the kind of the conclusion that i came to is that even even in what you would consider to be easy groups you will always come up against teams and against systems and against coaches who know what they're doing and i think that the europe the the challenge on the continental stage is different to the challenge in the premier league and I think you almost need the group stages to find your feet every season before the knockout stages. Yeah. So although we've qualified in every in every year but one that we've been in the Champions League, I think that in all of those years, there will have been at least one game that threw up challenges in the group stage that the team will have learned from. Or at the very least, that the team will have not experienced or faced in the Premier League. And I think that that's the interesting thing about continental competitions, even at this stage. Um, and it kind of brings me nicely on to, to, to Sevilla. Now, Lloyd, Sevilla have not had the greatest starts to the season. I don't think they've won any of their first four games. Um, but at the same time, they're a club who come with real European pedigree. Uh, and they're a club who also come with a manager in, in Julian Lopetegui, uh, who's very, very, very highly regarded. And even from a player point of view, there's enough players in that team that you know, that you recognize to go, this isn't, you know, respectfully, it's not Victoria Pilsen um, that we've come up against. So bearing that in mind, how did you think they started the game and how do you think City started the game? Yeah, so I think you're right with what you say about Sevilla. You know, one point from 12 in the Liga, but I found myself looking at that team and like particularly the bench and I was like, quite a few, maybe not household names, but, you know, guys who have adorned, you know, top-level European football for the last 10 years. Absolutely. Um, so, to be honest, I... I didn't think City were great in the first half. Um, I thought we were kind of feeling our way in a little bit. We were trying to work out um, exactly what Sevilla were posing in terms of how hard they were going to come at us. Were they going to sit back? Were they really going to try and hit us um, on the break? And I think what became really clear quite quickly is that they were very neutered in their threat. Um, they were playing Papu Gomez, who's normally kind of like a technical number 10 or someone that plays on the wing a bit like David Silva or Nasri used to do for us back in the Mancini days they're playing him up front um, he's got no pace and they basically had no cut through um, 
and it felt a little bit like um, the game against Palace at home in that they could kind of get the ball into transition and they would get on their way. But then as they kind of got towards the final third and their attackers got on the ball, um, City managed to snuff it out or the ball kind of went awry. So I think we grew into the first half. Um, we very much worked out what they were offering, which I think was like good in tight spaces, um, not particularly aggressive without the ball. And yeah, like I said, I didn't think they had much threat in behind. And I think City worked that out pretty well um, towards the end of the first half. Obviously, Haaland... Harlan gets the the goal on twenty minutes, um, but I thought you know in and around that there was a, a, again I thought a general bit of sloppiness from some of the players. I thought Kev, for example, I know he set up the goal really nicely, but you know, some some of his shots and passes in around the box were absolutely miles off. Um, I think thankfully what did happen is as the first half wore on and particularly. As we got the second goal in the second half, I think confidence really grew. You saw the players kind of get a bit more into their groove. Um, and, you know, there were individuals in the first half who I thought looked bright. I thought Grealish looked good. I thought Akanji looked good. Um, I just thought generally across the board, there was a little bit of sloppiness there. But thankfully, that is something that improved. And I think probably a little natural after taking a bit of a stinger um, at the weekend against Villa. Mm. Ali, how did you how did you see it? Similar to Lloyd? Yeah, pretty similar. Um, I thought the the first half uh, we were a bit cagey, and understandably, when I mean, we had two debutants, and and particularly um, the, uh, Gomez at uh, left back looked like he had been told to play as a City left back, but all his instincts were still to play um, in in the kind of position a, a left-back normally would. Um, he came in more in the second half and played a bit more the kind of Zinchenko-type role uh, and looked a lot more um, effective and interesting. But I think we were all... All of our players were probably protecting each other and, and you know, as Lloyd said, they were feeling themselves into the game. Um, I also think that uh, Sevilla had gone in, started the first half, uh, determined not to get battered. And obviously this is something a lot of teams do when they come against us. Um, so, you know, they were working very hard. They were playing very defensively. Um, and it was only after we'd gone one up and I think they made a couple of quite attacking substitutions. And is it Dolberg he was called? The, um, the, Scandin- uh, the Danish yeah, name. Casper Dolberg. Casper uh, Dolberg came on um, and he looked like uh, he was really causing us problems as an individual. He looked like a dangerous player, and it was the first player really I'd seen that um, that seemed to be causing us uh, any real difficulties individually. Um, but of course, as is very typical in a Manchester City game, um, when they became a little bit more uh, forward-thinking and, and actually needing to get a goal to to salvage something, um, they immediately opened themselves up, and I think that's why it was so much more comfortable for us in the second half. Um, I don't know. Uh, Sevilla well enough as a, a, a setup. I don't know how they would normally play and how different it was, um, but it did feel like we were playing against a, a team that was just determined not to get battered in the first half, and playing against a team that was actually chasing a goal in the second half. Um, and those two are are very different conditions under which Manchester City play football games. Um, but I, I I really enjoyed the match. I thought it was it was competitive. Um, 
while uh, particularly by the time we got to the end the final whistle it, it had been quite comfortable um it wasn't quite as uh joyously straightforward as the forest game had been uh the week before which you know really was the most um entertainingly uh straightforward hammering we had dealt out in a while um this really did feel like there was quite a lot of stake and our players knew there was a lot of stake and and were a little bit nervous possibly about having a couple of debutant defenders in there um but particularly when it became so obvious that Akanji was absolutely uh, as comfortable as he could possibly be in, and was loving every moment and was well and truly up to the task of, of what Pep had given him to do, I think probably everybody settled down. Um, and the second half was really quite impressive from us and, and really quite enjoyable as a fan to watch. Mm. It's interesting you say that. I, I think I, saw, I saw, saw the game slightly differently in that um, it felt very much like a a training game from pretty early on to me. And I think certainly after the first goal, it felt like a training game. I, I don't think that, um, I think Sevilla were, it's right when you say that they were pretty sure they didn't want to get battered. And that was probably their, their first focus in the first 20, 25 minutes of the game. And that meant that City had obviously a lot of the ball. Um, and, at times it felt like the tempo was quite low. Didn't really feel like there was a, it felt like the first group game of the Champions yeah. League, to be honest with you. And it was the first group game of the Champions exactly. League. So, yeah. hey, it, uh, uh, it lived up to its, uh, to its billing. Um, yeah. And I, I'm interested in something actually. I'll, I'll, uh, Ali, you can answer this and Lloyd, I want you to answer this as well. Um, Hand grenade question time. Are City attacking well currently? And you can, you can, you can, you can, uh, you can use the last couple of weeks. You can lose, use since the start of the season. Doesn't matter what the barometer is because we're still only six games in or whatever it is. Are City attacking well? And don't okay. fire Haaland stats back at me. That's not really the question. <laughs> you took that out of my mouth. Um, yeah, I, I, I totally understand the question you're asking, I think, and, and I know where you're coming from. Uh, I also think it is a, a very strange question to be asking, given given how many goals we have scored and that Erling Haaland is there. Um, what has been going on, I am, I am absolutely sure of this, is... Uh, Kevin De Bruyne, uh, Phil Foden, whoever else is on pitch at the time, Jack Grealish, uh, Mahrez occasionally, um, are all trying to get their heads and their, you know, their feet and their timing around a very different uh, attacking setup for a football team. Um, we have gone from playing with a fluid front five or front six occasionally um, to a much more focused, uh, 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 spearheaded striker attack. So some of the time, uh, our attacking midfielders, our creative players are looking too hard for Erling Haaland and are, um, the only thing they're thinking is, is how do I get the ball to Erling Haaland? Other times they should be thinking, how am I getting the ball to Erling Haaland? And they're forgetting to do that and they're doing something else instead. Um, not looking at anyone in particular, Kyle Walker. Uh, so that I think, uh, is inevitable and understandable. Uh, they've got, they've played two years. I mean, actually, 
I mean, uh, Sergio Aguero was, was injured for so long that uh, it's kind of, you, you can argue it's almost three or four years since these players have had a real uh, spearhead striker to focus on. Um, now they do, and they've played a total of 12 games in, in all competitions uh, with a, an out-and-out number nine. It will take time for them. So much of what City do as an attacking force is drilled to the point where it looks instinctive, but it's not. It is trained in at, with endless hours of uh, technical coaching and uh, team discipline. Um, now, when you have got half a second or less than half a second to decide whether you're shooting or crossing or passing out wide or whatever it might be, um, players like Phil Foden just appear to be making that decision uh, and making the correct decision instantaneously again and again and again and again and again. Now, you can't completely change the structure and setup of our, of our attacking team um, and expect them to make the same instantaneous mm. correct decisions again and again and again when it is not what they've been drilled to do over years. They're, they're having to learn to do something else. And so sometimes they will get it wrong. Um, now, it looks to me that uh, Kevin and Phil have been quite quick to almost get there. Um, Maris hasn't got there at all yet. Hopefully he will soon. Um, now, whether how much of that to do is, you know, is to do with his whatever's going on in his own head and his own form or whatever, and how much is about the team, I don't know. Um, and obviously Jack, I think, would have been getting into it much more, but his um, uh, injury kind of interrupted just as he was kind of getting the swing of it. Um, and then Gundogan seems to have absolutely nailed it. I think every time he's played, he's been brilliant. Um, and... Bernardo has kind of been like Bernardo. He's been a swarming fly absolutely everywhere. And it's kind of difficult to see where, uh, you know, where Haaland has changed his game. Um, so all of these things are going on and some of them are getting their heads and their, uh, technical abilities around it faster than others. But the bottom line is it's a work in progress. We are in week five or whatever it is of the, of the new season. Um, and decisions incorrect or imperfect decisions that are being made now probably won't be getting made in March and May next year, which is when it will really matter. You know what? That's such a good assessment that I don't think Lloyd has got anything to say. <laughs> I bet he can. No, but he's got the, the chainsaw is back. So Lloyd, unmute yourself. Let's see how you sound. Oh, we can, that was a very good answer, Ali, to be fair. Um, can you hear the chainsaw? <laughs> Honestly, not really. So yeah. crack on. Okay. Um, yeah, I've got. I've not really got a lot to add. I think that was a great answer. Um, I do think Haaland has kind of moved the needle in such a way. Obviously, I think he's contributed to. I think it's over seventy percent of our goals so far. That what's clearly become obvious now is that we we're almost actually trying to get the ball to him. I think the players are now on that wavelength, whereas. In the first couple of games, I think it was, you could kind of see that they. Oh god, this sounds quite bad. Um, they um, they were struggling to kind of work out his runs, and in the West Ham game in particular, there were a few times where like Kev or Gundo didn't slot him in. I think now they're kind of getting there, and Kevin in particular, more than anyone, I think looks most attuned. Um, but it has actually felt slightly at times like we're going 
like Pepper said, we're, we're going slightly too early and we're almost trying to find him too quickly and we've lost a bit of that pauser. Um, so, but I think that's natural as well. It's just going to, it's going to take a bit of time to recalibrate. Um, and I think it is also natural that when you have someone who's that deadly in the six yard box that you're going to try and find them. And he's obviously found himself there, you know, pretty regularly. And I, I can't really have any complaints with that. Mm, no, I'd, I'd, I'd go along with a lot of that. I guess the way I kind of see it is that there's a, um, I, I asked the question because I, I think there have been moments where we haven't particularly attacked well, but for me, it's almost, I don't even see it as a Harlan thing because I don't think that, I don't think it's about the fact that we've got Erling up there and therefore suddenly everybody's just launching balls up towards him. I just think in general, um, the rhythm hasn't really been where it needs to be. But part of me feels as though there's probably a part of that that is connected to um, the issues that we have in the two wide areas. And and I guess that the, the reason I characterize it as issues is because, as I said the other day, if you're in a position where Bernardo Silva, who hasn't played on the right-hand side of a front three for two years, suddenly finds himself playing there whilst Riyad Mahrez is on the bench, it tells you that there's an issue in that position because you're not really, that's not really been Bernardo's position at all in the last two years. Um, and it also, I think that it's in, it's compounded by the, the Grealish injury because then if Grealish is injured, you only really have Foden who can play on the left-hand side. It doesn't give you much, uh, much option in terms of variety, particularly if you're not sure that Alvarez can step in from the beginning of games and become a serious option in one of the one of the wide areas. So I do think there's a few what I would consider to be smaller issues that are going on that are affecting the attack. Um, but I think that the flip side of that is that's what Erling Haaland brings to your side, is that when you have an out-and-out number nine, uh, then you put yourself in a position where you don't necessarily have to attack uh, at nine out of ten, ten out of ten to score goals. You don't have to score the perfect goal. You almost just need one almost perfect cross and you'll score because of the nature of of, of Haaland and the types of goals currently that um, that he's scoring, so that that's kind of my my general takeaway on on uh, on where we are with the attack. But then again, having said that, you you push forward into the second half. I think you know Foden's goal is exactly what he needed, um, particularly with some of the uh, nonsense criticism that has followed him around and I think as soon as it goes 2-0 it's game over and the third comes within nine minutes of that and suddenly a game that felt a little bit static uh, has felt like a walk in the park and like City are really attacking well um, Ali any uh, any disputes on that? No, not really. Um, it, it occurs to me the only thing we haven't really talked about in this is the fullback situation. Um, 
I think one of the reasons we've been struggling to get uh, balls in from wide is because we've been playing without fullbacks or even wingbacks. You know, we've been playing with these inverted uh, Cancelo and, you know, plus one. Um, now, one thing I really noticed on uh, on Tuesday night was that even compared to the other games we played this season, um, Cancelo having crossed over to the right side, um, and I don't know how much of it was about the nature of the opposition, but he was not even pretending to be a fullback mm. on Tuesday. He played in the exact spot that Kevin De Bruyne has been playing play for the last <laughs> five years. Um, he played out and out of a number eight. Um, and pretty well, too. Uh, I mean, not as well as Kevin De Bruyne in that spot. Um, and I don't know if you noticed, but um, uh, I keep what I call Manjali. It's Akanji. Um, at times, Akanji, we weren't playing with a back three. We were playing with a, you know, a back two or a back four, whichever you prefer. Um, but Akanji almost had, you know, chalk on his boots. He was so yep. far wide to the right. He you was playing directly behind, uh, Cancelo. Um, and I, I don't think I've ever seen a, a centre back. I mean, Stones does a little bit of that, but not to this extent. And I'm sure it was because he was entirely covering the right hand channel. Um, because Cancelo was absolutely nowhere near a defensive position. Now, if we were playing a more challenging and, and dangerous opponent, um, maybe Cancelo would drop deeper back. If Kyle Walker had been playing and Cancelo been playing on the other side, maybe Kyle would have been quite as adventurous. Um, but things have... I mean, I remember when we talked on these pods about how Manchester City would change when Haaland arrived, and one of the things I said is that I'm expecting uh, Pep to pull some rabbits out of the hat tactically and to play in ways that we just never anticipated or never expected. Um, I didn't think it would be with the fullbacks playing in the middle of the pitch, uh, but I think that that's what it is, and I presume um, a lot of that is about uh, covering... Or creating an intensity in midfield that we're lacking now that we no longer have effectively six midfielders. We now only have five. Um, so he's plugging what he's perceiving as gaps. Uh, whether when we play more dangerous opponents, we'll find we've actually left new gaps down the wings, uh, is something I'm still worried about. But I thought that was a really, um, what's the word? Uh, kind of salient feature of the game on, on, uh, Tuesday night, and, and I'll be curious to see just how extreme this new tactical formation, or how how uh, how, how committed to it Pep continues to be, because it is it's interesting, and so far it's kind of working, even though I think a lot of us are quite scared by it, not just me. Um, but uh, let's welcome this uh, innovation and excitement, because yet again Pep is doing things on a football pitch that you know no other football manager has ever thought to do. Well, look, I think that there's, a, there's, there's quite a few things in there. Um, I think on, on the, on where Akanji played, uh, I think that's going to be the benefit of having Akanji in as one of the center backs is that he's probably the fastest of all the center backs that we've got by some distance. I think he's probably somebody who is closer to Kyle Walker in terms of his, pace and his explosiveness uh, certainly I saw a stat that that said that you know he had the second or third fastest sprint in the Bundesliga last season and he's up there with Leroy Sane which gives you an idea of of how quick he is but yeah I, it certainly was a feature for me that he was he would pour very wide when when Cancelo would venture forward I, I wonder um 
whether part of him pulling that wide is because having Cancelo and Gomez, who are both far more comfortable on the ball than Walker is, in those tight spaces meant that they felt comfortable that Seville were not going to be able to pick off a stray pass and then puncture the centre of the pitch and have a run at Diaz. Um, so I do think that there's a kind of, every in the way that everything is connected to everything else with Guardiola, that there is, for me, the idea that Kanji can pull very wide because of his pace, because there is that confidence there that um that Cancelo and, and Gomez are comfortable enough on the ball that they're that they're not going to end up losing the ball in silly areas. Um you know what? I think it's a good moment to actually talk about both of their performances. Lloyd, I'm gonna fire this over to you. Um very quickly on Gomez, I thought from from what I saw of him, I thought he did okay. I think that I can see where he could be very useful to us. And I also see some of his weaknesses or deficiencies. Um, if I were to make a comparison, honestly, the <laughs> nearest player I could think of would probably be Zinchenko. I think that he gave me very much the vibe of a midfielder playing at left back. What do you reckon? I agree. Which is why I think Yarning Zinchenko is always a bad move. Um, uh, yeah, I thought he did okay. I thought people got a bit, some people got a bit overexcited. I saw people raving about his performance on Twitter. I was a bit confused by that. Um, like you, I thought there's clearly aspects of his game you can see. Um, I thought some of his crossing obviously looked really good. Some of his interplay in and around the box looked good. And I think like Ali said at the top, I think also you could tell he was almost forcing himself into central midfield at points where clearly he had that kind of monkey on his shoulder telling him to go down the outside on the left and, you know, look to give an option. Um I think that I think it, look, it's gonna be slow progress with Gomez. Um, you know, they, they he's clearly not a come in to be a number one um left back. I think the fact that he started actually is good for him. I think that'll be good for his confidence. Um I think we'll just have to see, but um, I agree. I think he's very much, uh, it was very much Zinchenko vibes and that's why it is a bit puzzling. But look, he's with us now. We've got to get behind him. Um, but I didn't, you know, there wasn't anything that jumped out to me as really alarming. Um, the test will obviously come when he plays, you know, a really good winger um, and someone that's going to pin him back. And can he defend one-on-one? I think that's, that is the big question. And well, ultimately, we, we don't know the answer to that. Yeah, look, I think I think the reality is that in 95% of the games that we play, um, the opposition will be as deep as Sevilla were and we will be as high up as we were. Um, and I think in terms of how you're controlling transitions... In general, you're not controlling transitions with pace. You're controlling them with positioning and with knowing when to tackle, basically, when to be tight to your man and being aggressive and winning your duels. And I think that that's probably the thing that... I I think you've damned him with a little bit of faint praise there, Lloyd. I have to be honest with you because I, I, I don't think he was amazing, 
but I didn't expect him to be amazing. But at the same time, I thought he was really aggressive in all of his duels, which I think is really, really, really important. Um, I thought that he put in a couple of very, very, very dangerous crosses. And I think that uh, he looked when he stepped into midfield like a centre midfield player. And actually, I think that's as important as anything else if we're going to if Guardiola has committed to the idea that part of this process this season is going to be the very narrow fullbacks, then as important as how good they are defensively is how good they are on the ball and whether they can pass and whether they're comfortable in tight spaces. And he was all of those things. And so I think that that bodes really well. Um even if there will be moments where defensively he may be exposed. Which kind of brings me to your second point. I think the 5% of games, and that 5% is literally probably Paris Saint-Germain, Real Madrid, Barcelona, Liverpool, um, maybe Arsenal because of the pace that they've got, but even then I'm not convinced by them. Like, there's just very few games, very few teams in European football that have got the sort of players where you begin to look at it and go, shit, oh, Spurs. You know what? I'll throw Spurs in there just because of how dangerous they are in the transition. But there's very few teams where you feel as though they're such a threat in turning you around back to front that a guy like Gomez is not the right thing. You need to throw Ake in there. No, I don't know. I think that's a bit unfair. I think there are lots of there are a good amount of teams in the Prem that are going to cause you that many problems. I mean, you mate, you've been back. Name one. That Palace when Zaha's fit. He plays on the left. Well, then they've got <clears throat> Eze and Ayu and Elise still. So um, I, I, I'm I'm not bothered about Jordan Ayu. Respectfully, he's 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 fast and he's strong, but that's about it. Um. Well, I mean, but Zaha, I mean, look, Zaha plays centrally, moves all across the pitch. He's he's scored goals against us from right wing, left wing. Just depends where he picks the ball up. Um, I think Newcastle similar. Um, there there are definitely teams in the Premier League where um, you need to be able to defend one versus one. It might, you might only need it three or four times a game, but um, it you know it's it is absolutely crucial. And as as much as Cancelo makes mistakes and sometimes gets roasted. He's shown he can defend 1v1. Um, albeit, you know, he's not Kyle Walker. Not many players are. Um, but yeah, Gomez hasn't shown that. I'm not saying I'm not saying he won't be able to do that. I was just saying we're not going to know that until he plays against, you know, a really difficult, intricate, pacey team. And there are plenty of those in the pen. Ali, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this over to you. He's he's respectfully, Lloyd hasn't convinced me with with his answer so far because uh, all the players that he named are left wingers and and so therefore they'd be up against our right back. Um, Is Elise not a right winger? Elise can't get in that team because Jordan Ayew starts and I've just told you what I think of Jordan Ayew. <laughs> Pick a different team. Okay. First of all, I, I am going to say here that um, Lloyd, when you're talking, that chainsaw in the background, it sounds like you've got a cat sat in your knee purring very loudly. <laughs> I am now picturing you as a kind of Blofeld figure, and I'm wondering if you're going to pull a lever on this and if you're going to disappear into the shark tank beneath. <laughs> it's, getting, <laughs> it's getting worse and worse as well. But in the meantime, um, I, I, yeah, and 
on on this particular one, and probably closer to Lloyd's side, I think there are enough good attacking wide players, whether left or right, in the Premier League that at least every other game we play, there's something to worry about. Um, now, yeah, it might not be, uh, yeah. In the way we, we saw, uh, Sam Maxima absolutely shred Kyle Walker, uh, a few weeks ago. Um, that kind of matchup isn't going to happen very often. There's, it's not that often you, you have a winger and attacking player that's quite on that level of form. Um, and, will make a monkey at one of our defenders. That's an incredibly rare occurrence and will continue to be so. Um, but so many teams in the Premier League, I mean, I'll let, pick a, pick a, a random, uh, a random right winger. Um, who's, who's the, the little Sean Wright Phillips lookalike who plays for, uh, for Brentford? Um, what's he called? Uh, nobody's jumping in to help me here. Um, De Silva? No, not Silva. Uh, it, it's a. No, you're going to tell me it's not even Brentford now. I've made a complete idiot myself. Um, no, no, scrap it. It'll come to me the like the very second I uh, we we turn off the recording. It'll it'll come flooding. <laughs> uh, he's got he's got a name like uh, Lung Lung Lungstrom or or something. There, there's there's a little a short winger who plays for either Brighton or Brentford. Um, who? Terry Lumpty. Yes, Lanty. Thank you. He's the one I'm thinking of. Um, okay. He, he's the kind of player who, uh, you know, he's probably not going to be setting the World Cup alight. Um, but on his day, he will cause absolute havoc, uh, to any left back in, in the Premier League. Uh, and, you know, uh, he's just, you know, the, the first example I, I tried to think mm. of, think of a right winger that I like. Um, and, you know, there, there's a lot of those players. Um, so you do, you know, <laughs> We so can't hold on, have, hold on, we, Ali, 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 yeah, Ali, on, hold on. on. So let me let me bring you right back round to the beginning of the question because I think that this is the the context for me is Gomez's performance against Sevilla. Yeah, and I appreciate that he didn't have a lot of defending to do, but f- the nature of ninety minutes of football is that if you're playing at fullback. There will be duels that you have to win and there will be moments where you have to defend. So my question is just more, how do you think he acquitted himself? I, I think he acquitted himself absolutely fine. <laughs> That's a straightforward answer to a straightforward question. Um, he was good. Um, he didn't. Uh, he didn't sparkle in a way that you think, you know, we've, we've found like some generational talent that may, those sparkles may yet come, but you know, it wasn't that kind of performance. And um, I thought he looked a bit nervous in the first half and really quite confident and assured and, and, uh, effective in the second half, but that was admittedly mostly going forward. And I think he had, I remember him getting beaten once in the first half, uh, but not much. Um, and, you know that that is par for the course for you know top level football. You, you know, very few defenders will win every one on one that they they come up against, particularly not fullbacks with a with a decent winger around them. Absolutely. Um, so so yeah. Um, do we do we yet? I think a better way to, to answer this question is not you know is uh, is Gomez good enough to compete in the Premier League? I, I don't know that. Um, has he shown enough to make me think that he could become good enough to play in the Premier League? Absolutely, yes. Um, and one thing I, I was thinking as I was watching the game on Tuesday uh, is where we were about a week before the end of the transfer window um, when we not only 
had apparently no backup at left back. Um, we were rapidly running out of cover uh, in central defence as well. Um, and the fact that those two signings that we made, kind of when when you're getting towards the... Uh, <laughs> uh, remember the supermarket sweep when the countdown would go down in, in the last <laughs> 30 seconds or whatever and people were running around grabbing whatever they can um, yeah, it, it, we were at that stage of the transfer window um, and of course we weren't actually panicking our, our uh, you know, scouting and recruitment team are I, I, I genuinely believe amongst the best in world football and they made two very very good decisions um, but thinking where we could have been and how badly it could have gone wrong um Wow, you know what a result we've had with those two, and I and of all the things we can say about the game against Sevilla, um, their performances, you know, the performances from both of them, and let's say you know the the performance from Cheeky Bergerstein and and his team, um, ten out of ten for all of them. Well done. We we've got players that we needed, and it didn't take long for it to become really obvious that we needed them. Mm, I just think I I think that with with both, I think one of the things that we've seen. Um, under Guardiola, uh, is that players improve generally playing under Pep. Uh, I think we've also seen that Pep can tap into a type of versatility that, that maybe we, even ourselves don't see in players. I think, you know, Delph is a great example of, of, of Guardiola seeing something and going, okay, I'm going to go and have you play over there now. Um, and I think, you know, I, I think with Gomez, I, I almost saw enough there to go, okay, as I said at the top, I can see the weaknesses, but I can also see why he may well be a player who in four or five months' time starts a Champions League knockout game because Guardiola decides that him and Cancelo control the ball better in the middle than Cancelo and Walker do. Um, and that's the type of decision that I can see... Uh, I can see Pep making. A um, couple of other individual performances that I'd like to talk about. Firstly, because I'm obviously obsessed, I'd like to talk about Philip Foden. Um, as I alluded to earlier, he's come in for quite some criticism from from quite a few, few different spots recently. Um, and I, firstly, I think it's, testament to his importance that he starts again but secondly I, I felt his performance was um yeah just it was better I think it was more impactful and I think the goal was uh the goal was something that he needed to kind of you know almost like the icing on the cake like to score a goal like that it's like oh yeah it's a reminder I can finish and I can score goals like that. Lloyd, did you did you see the improvement in his performance on I guess within contrast to recent performances that people have been more critical of? Sorry that the cat is purring at the at the nth degree here. Um I thought Phil I was really happy for Phil. I thought he looked a lot better after the goal. And I know that's quite a simplistic thing to say but sometimes I think we overanalyze these things and I think that's exactly what happened you could see it really lifted a bit of a a bit of a weight on his shoulders and um, I think you saw a bit more of that freedom and that kind of impishness from Phil after the goal um, he has come in for a lot of criticism I think 
as me and you have agreed on, despite disagreeing on things on this pod, um, that he is just so important to us. And I think the fact that he started the last seven out of seven is testament to that. And I, I thought even before the season started, Foden would be moved around again, right wing, left wing. And that's, again, exactly how it's gone. So I'm very, very happy that he got that. I think that'll probably free him up a bit. And actually, I would implore listeners to go and watch Pep's interview after the game where he talks about Foden on BT. It's about two minutes long. Um, gives a gives a pretty candid insight into into what's been going on. He said he acknowledges that you know Foden's maybe not been playing his best football and that um, he's struggling a little bit for form. But Pep just says you know he is one of the most important guys. And even when Phil doesn't play well, and he talks about all the things that Phil still does which to me felt like a jibe at Mahrez um, and some of the other guys who play out wide because I think Phil is still a massive team player and, and is unselfish enough that when he doesn't necessarily bring that stardust, he still performs in a very important job for the team. And look, if Pep didn't think that, he wouldn't pick him every game, and he does. So um, the proof is very much in the pudding, and I think now that he's got that goal, I would expect... Um, him to improve slightly. It's probably just a shame for Phil that we don't have a game this weekend. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would go along with that. Um, Ali, uh, talk to me shortly about Phil, but more, more importantly, talk to me about how you felt about Jack Grealish's hour-long cameo. Um, for the record, he didn't look very happy when he substituted. Didn't look very happy on the bench afterwards part of me um immediately was concerned that maybe he'd got a niggle again that maybe the kind of the look on his face of disappointment was not at being subbed early it's because he felt something again it's very difficult to tell i thought the exact same thing as you did actually and uh there was one shot in particular i think it was after um harland had been brought off as well and there was a shot of the bench when Haaland was sitting with a huge big cheesy grin on his face like he always had. And Jack looked like he had just broken his leg or something. Mm. <laughs> he really did look miserable. Um, and I wondered if, if whatever injury he's been keeping out, if he'd, if he'd just inflamed it or something again. And he was really upset about that. Um, and I don't even, I, presumably we wouldn't get a, a Guardiola press conference today now. Uh, so we, uh, we, it may be a while till we find out. Um, anyway, uh, to, to take your question in the order it came, um, Phil, I had, uh, I'd probably gone back a couple of years. I remember, uh, coining something on, on one of these podcasts where uh, something I called the first law of Kevin De Bruyne. Uh, and the first law of Kevin De Bruyne is that he can have a bad game and will still be the best player on the pitch. <laughs> I think we're rapidly getting to the same or the equivalent situation with Phil Foden. Um, he can have a bad game and if he's not quite at the level of Kevin De Bruyne, he will be very close to it. He will still be incredibly important. Um, I think he, he, I agree with everyone, including Lloyd and including Pep, um, that he hasn't been, uh, quite firing enough all cylinders, uh, this season and probably a hangover from the year that he spent kind of dropping in and out as a false nine and never been quite sure where he was last year. Um, but uh, I thought I'd, I was really quite impressed with him against Villa. I know the, the Villa game we haven't mentioned at all today, but it was generally quite a disappointment in many ways. Um, but I thought uh, Phil Foden showed lots and lots of moments of, of real uh, top quality, top top class there. Um, there's one 
particularly a, a ball that looked to be looked for all the world to be going out behind for a, a goal kick, which he chased down over about 40 yards and, and somehow kept in and brought back and kept alive. Um, and that was kind of about 70 minutes into the game or something when uh, you know, he had every every right to be fully exhausted. Um, I was really impressed by that and impressed by a lot. And then uh, I thought he was absolutely outstanding on a Tuesday. Uh, delighted that he got the goal. Delighted by the way he took the goal as well. Um, when he got the ball, um, he was like, right, I'm going to score here. Uh, okay, I can't score this moment. I'll take another moment. Okay, I'm going to, oh, no, still can't. No, still can't. Right, now I can score. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I'm going to try and not make a really obscene analogy, but it was like he was trying to get the defender to open his legs. <laughs> Drag him this way. Okay, your legs are wide enough now. I'll hammer it home. I slapped it between them. Um, and... I, I had a confidence when he took the ball there that we've got a goal coming. And, you know, I thought he would probably set up Haaland for it, but he really did look like he owned that penalty box. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's great to see because cause when, uh, when Foden is absolutely fully fit and firing, uh, he really does feel unstoppable. I mean, I think he knows that he has got the skills to uh, you know, outwit and, and out... Uh, dribble, whatever else, any defender, any defence in, in world football. Um, so having him showing that degree of composure, uh, and that degree of confidence, which is, you know, an arrogance that, you know, the absolute, the right kind of arrogance, um, to, to just know he was going to either create or score a goal there. Um, that was a, a huge, uh, encouragement and, a, um, a good sign that things have moved forward. Um, and then, yeah, we could do a bit of a compare and a contrast with, with Jack Grealish. Um, I did think he was pretty good for the, the hour or whatever he was on. Uh, didn't really have any complaints about him. There were still a couple of moments when it looked like he could aggressively attack his fullback and he turned and passed backwards, um, which is the... the uh, leitmotif, pardon me, pretentious expression, like the, the running theme of his time at City, and it's just a slight overcautiousness. And I think what he's lacking is that um, you know, absolute confidence that, that he has got the beating of any defender he's up against. Um, I think he's worried about getting a row from Pep if he does the wrong thing, so he does the, the careful thing instead. Um, he did have a couple of aggressive charges forward and looked so much better, um, and he did create and hopefully uh, we were wrong about him, you know, uh, flaring up an injury or, or whatever. I just think that Jack needs a game where everything falls his way. He scores a hat trick or sets up a you know a whole lot of assists um, and kind of you know gets a man of the match and, and everybody talks about how wonderful Jack is. Um, and suddenly you know all the clouds will lift. Um, his mood and his confidence and everything else will. You know, just go up several levels, uh, and I think everything will be fine. Um, but I mean, I know there's a running theme whenever, uh, whenever we're talking about Jag Religion 9320. Um, it's been too long in coming, this, uh, and it is really unfortunate that injury came in August when, when it might have, you know, been his moment to really fall, you know, uh, for the pieces to fall into place. Mm. But, Maybe that's to come now, and and I still think it will, uh, and I'm still, um, you know, I I have faith things will come good for Jackie, uh, and just hopefully I'm, sooner rather than later. I'm I'm a little bit torn. Um, I agree that I I think he's incredibly unlucky to get the injury when when he got the injury. Um, 
But equally, my worry continues to be that on a ba- on a very basic level, I just don't see how he impacts football games. Yeah, I, I think fundamentally. I keep coming back to this idea that if you want to play in the front three at City, you've got to impact the game of football. Um, obviously, you can't judge him after an hour when he's coming back from an injury. But I think equally, my concern would be, in general, nothing is that different to when he first arrived at City. Um, I'm really, really hoping that he was just bothered by his performance because I don't want him to be injured again because we need him. And I think that the one thing that I would say for my own, all of my own negativity and concerns, I think with a run of games, he can get better. I think with a run of games, he can begin to impact games, but I think he needs that run and that confidence, like you said. So let's, let's see uh, whether it is uh, an injury um, or whether it was just his, Disappointment, And to be honest, part of me feels as though if it was just disappointment at his performance and the fact that he was being subbed, I'm kind of pleased because yeah. I think that from where I was sitting, the That's performance... That's what I thought it was. Yeah, that w- from where I was sat, my my big thing was, I'm, I'm not sure he's done enough here. Like, I, I think, you know, he will have wanted to do more and affect the game a little bit more. And the fact that he didn't will have bothered him. And that's what you want to see from your attacking players. Not arsiness because they're just because they're being sold. Yeah. Um, but a genuine annoyance at the fact that they weren't able to make the impact that they want to make. Yeah. Um, if he's angry at himself, that's a great thing. If he's angry exactly. at Pep, that isn't. Um, I don't think he's good. Yeah. He, he doesn't strike me as a lad that's going to get angry at Pep right now. I think he's yeah. in his own head and he just wants to get himself to the level he knows he can play at. Um, yeah. And that's cool. Even if- Ironically, I think he's probably being helped quite a lot at the moment by the, uh, the catastrophic collapse in form from Mares. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. The fact that you know one of the other wide players is really not on on his game. Well, look, I'm going to say we'll something. Make it easier I, for Jack to come I, in. I don't. I don't think that I, Lloyd. I'm going to throw this to you. I don't think it's a form thing with Mares. I think when he gets subbed on the hour, uh, is it against Palace? Where at some point in the last few weeks he got subbed on the hour, and he walks off the pitch shaking his head and muttering in a way that you just don't do in my opinion. I think that in a Guardiola team, if you roll like that, you're liable to find yourself on the bench. And I'm not saying that it was the same levels as Sterling's fallout with with Guardiola, but I certainly think that if you begin to, to question Pep's decisions in that way, then you might find yourself on the naughty step for a few weeks. Absolutely, I don't, I don't. Yeah, I don't get that impression from Grealish. To be honest, I think he knows he still needs to prove himself. Um, I think that's a lot more <laughs> Mara's conversation. I think Mara's has started the season pretty, really poorly, actually. Um, and I was kind of expecting him more than anybody else to be the guy that kind of hit the ground running. He's the senior. He's the senior player. He's also the one without um, with Harlem without the the World Cup hanging over him. Um, was very much expecting him to to kind of stamp his authority on on, on the team. Um, I I did I really did look at Pep's comments the other night about Foden 
um, and just thought that was a bit of a nod to Mares. Um, okay. I completely agree with that. He's playing, he's I mean, you, know, the, you, yeah, you called that absolutely right. right. He's playing him on the right, you know, Phil generally um, this season, mainly because Grealish has been injured, has played on the left. Um, and because, again, because Foden's so good, he gets shunted around. He's almost the victim of his own success. Um, but there he is playing where Mares, who's started six out of six, the last two Champions League group stages in the season, has probably been our key, one of our key players in the Champions League. He's on the bench again. I, I, I thought that was very much a, a message to Mares. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting one. There's a there's a question that's been thrown up in the um, uh, in in the tweets from uh, from Tim Smith saying uh, fresh up. Fresh off his extension, how long do we think Pep can keep Mahrez on the bench, even if his form warrants it, without it causing drama in the squad? Um, um, my personal take on it is that because of the number of contracts that were running down and because of Riyadh's willingness to extend... I imagine that part of the extension was because it does a little bit protect the fact that if you want to sell him in a year, you'll get a fee for him. Whereas if you, if he, well, he could have left on a free next summer otherwise. So I think that it puts control back in, in City's hands. And I think from Pep's point of view, I don't think Pep cares about drama. I think that if you cause drama, you'll just find yourself further down the pecking order. I don't think that, you know, I just I don't I don't envisage a world in which Mares or any player can sulk their way back into the team. I think yeah. on the contrary, you get sold if you start acting like that. So Yeah, yeah. I, I don't really think Mares being on the bench more is is that I don't doesn't strike me as a big problem. I think our dressing room is relatively stable enough and it's such a meritocracy. And there are so many other good players that I think actually it would get lost and a bit of wash in everything else. Whereas obviously when you're at Leicester, you are the Don, uh, you're the best player, you kick up the stink, it becomes the topic that dominates the entire dressing room. I think Mahrez's stature, albeit a great player in, in our dressing room, is just not the same. And um, at his age and given the, the other players that we've got, um, I'm sure you know he he could make it get get a bit nasty, but I, I trust that you know Morris has sh- shown enough times that he's able to turn around poor bouts of form. Absolutely, at City. Yeah. Um, I just think he has got a little bit more of that um, sad faces in him than say some of the other options. <laughs> I think. Can it's, I, I, go on. Sorry, sorry, can I come in? If I, uh, I think there's one aspect of Pep Guardiola's managerial genius that is not. Uh, Frequently enough discussed, um, is just how well he keeps the, uh, the mood and the, the togetherness of the team and the squad and the dressing room. Now, part of that is his, uh, preference for a, a smaller, tighter squad, which causes problems sometimes. Um, but, you know, it, it, it does help with that. It means everybody does get some game time, even if it's only in cup games or, or whatever. Uh, but, um, I think it's much more that he doesn't need that kind of 
threat of the big stick that either you fall in line and, and, you know, keep a smile on your face or you won't get picked. And it's that he creates an atmosphere where every single one of those players wants to perform for Pep. And, mm. and even when there have been issues with players feeling unsettled or wanting away, um, Sterling most obvious last year, uh, the little brief period with, uh, with Kun Aguero in, uh, Guardiola's first, second season, um, it was. It never became a, a dominant theme. Um, Pep managed it really well, and those players kept their heads down at the right times uh, and didn't rock the boat. Uh, and the the welfare and the the collective cohesion of the squad and the the atmosphere in that dressing room has never been less than a hundred percent. And I do not believe for a moment um, that anything will be different with with. Uh, Mares. If he is sulking, then that will become a problem for Riyad Mahrez and no one else. Yep. Um, okay. To wrap up on Seville, Seville very quickly, a uh, couple of cameos. Uh, Cole Palmer got, I believe, 20-ish minutes, which uh, I was really pleased to see. And uh, Alvarez got about 20-ish minutes as well, albeit in the false nine position. Lloyd... I have a theory for you. My theory is this, and I'd like to know what you think. For the moment, uh, Alvarez is not a... He will eventually be a number nine for City, but I think for the moment he is better utilised as a chaos maker from wide left or wide right whilst Haaland is still on the pitch. I think that when he is in that central position, maybe... There are little bit shades of Gabriel Jesus in that if you're doing all of that running and all of that harrying and all of that pressing, then you're not really getting in behind and scoring goals. What do you reckon about being harsh? Mm, I think there's some logic to that. I think particularly because yeah, it will actually help Alvarez play more, mm. I think, as well, in his early days because, you know, the evidence is there. Haaland is going to play when he's fit and Pep loves having him in the team you can tell from his interviews um, rightly so you know he's he is the absolute don <laughs> uh, I'm not sure there's anyone that could knock him out of that um, of that pedestal so I think naturally for, for Alvarez to get good minutes across the season he's going to have to learn to play with Haaland and that's obviously going to be um, a little more out wide but as we saw you know with with Jesus um, maybe not when he originally came in but particularly probably after 12 months or so it does help to to learn a different position particularly under Pep and to mm. to, to play out wide a bit I think that will that'll probably help his game up front um, but equally you know we play enough games across a season that Alvarez will have to play up front a lot as well we don't have another option there so um, yeah, I do agree, and I think we'll, we'll see quite a lot of that. And you know, we've already seen in the in the Forest game that he can very much do that. Um, so um, I'm looking forward to it. I, I've been really, really impressed with the little bits that we've seen from him so far. Me too. I I, I didn't mean to um, slight him at all. I just I, I I feel as though as he finds his feet in the team because I think he. I think maybe something that Gabriel Jesus suffered from was that he it felt his career felt very stop start at City because of Aguero's form once he clicked into Pep mode. And I think that with Haaland, 
The reality is that Erling Haaland is going to be City's number nine for the next few years, full stop. And I think that the more games we give Alvarez in the wide positions, the more he's going to feel like a part of it rather than a bit part of it. And I wonder whether with Jesus, it was even though he got lots of minutes, there was a bit part element to it because of where Aguero was in in terms of his form and how effectively uh, Jesus just became his understudy and would just play games that that Aguero didn't play in. Unless I'm mistaken, Gabriel Jesus playing wide right for City uh, was only happened in the final 12 months of his City career or final 18 months. I think prior to that, it had always been a case of he was just on the bench when Aguero was... Uh, uh, leading the line, and there was very few times that they played with with two up top. Um, okay, look, I, wa- I want to round up by... Do- oh, very quickly, man of the match in the Sevilla game. Ali? Phil Foden. Lloyd? Um, I'm tempted by a kanji, you know. I thought he was amazing, given it was his debut. Go on, lad. Um, I know that's a bit of a rogue shout, but... Give it, give it the rogue shout. Yeah, I know. I just thought I thought for someone to slot in and play centre back for Pep's team so difficult to do. I know they weren't they weren't great. But I thought he was pretty much faultless. So I'm going to go with Kanji. I love a man of the match yeah. rogue shout. Those are, yeah, those are the best best shouts. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, I think that I'm torn between Phil and Erling, but since. Um, Ali went with Phil. I'm going to go with Erling, uh, even though he only played an hour or 70 minutes or however long it was. I just think that, you know, he's a machine and we should give him as many man of the matches as we can. Um, okay. So to wrap up today's Friday show, I just want to run through some questions uh, from Twitter. Now, this is not rapid, rapid fire, but it's relatively rapid fire. So don't think too hard. Just go with your gut. Um, Steve Price says, two Premier League managers have been sacked already. How many do we think will go in the end? And will the World Cup break be good for managers as clubs can consider or will consider the clubs? St- eh. In fact, forget that. Let's just go with this. How many managers will get sacked between now and how many more managers will get sacked between now and the end of the season? I'm going to give you some options. Rogers, Lampard, Gerard, Cooper, Marsh, Lag, and Vieira. Steve Price says that's his list of potentially managers who could go. How many of those do you think will go, Ali? Uh, I'll say quickly that ma- uh, managers getting sacked is one of those contagious things that I think boards and, and chairman and owners uh, see one club sack a manager and it makes it more likely that they will do the same thing. Um, so uh, my estimates will have gone up since about a week ago. Um, but my uh, my feeling is that Rogers is quite likely and Gerard is quite likely and the others probably not. So uh, I will lean towards another two. Okay. Lloyd, what about you? I think those two, there's every chance they'll definitely go. I also think Lampard will probably end up getting the chop unless he manages some miraculous turnaround. I'm yet to see that. And I'm sure there'll be a couple of others because the Premier League has its weird and wonderful ways. And whilst I think we all thought there's maybe a chance Tuchel wouldn't last that long, given the new the new owners, I don't think anyone would have would have called him getting sacked last week or this week. So 
There will be, I'm sure, two others. So I would imagine at least five from now. Okay. Okay. I think there'll be. I think. I think we'll see two more sackings between now and the end of the season. Um, not more than that. Uh, right. Next question, Thomas Baird. Who will finish in the top four and who will be relegated? Ali. <laughs> uh, top four: City, Arsenal. Uh, Liverpool Spurs uh, and relegated um, Forest, obviously. Um, you know what? I think it might be Leicester. Okay. And one other. Oh, pick one other. Um, who's it going to be? Uh... I'll help you. Bournemouth. Help. Yeah, go on. Bournemouth is going to be. Thank you. <laughs> um, right, Lloyd, same question for you. Top four and bottom three at the end of the season. Top four, I'll stick with what I said at the beginning of the season. I think it'll be City, Liverpool, Spurs, Arsenal. In that order. Um, bottom three is unbelievably difficult. I think before the season, I said Bournemouth leads Forest. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I think Leeds have started a lot better than almost anyone expected, and I include Leeds fans in that. <laughs> um, I think Bournemouth will definitely go down. I think there's every chance Forest will be in and around it. Um, albeit, I do think there's a chance I'll stay up. And then I think it's really tough. Um, I really don't know. Leicester looked terrible. Uh, but I don't think they'll go down. Everton could definitely go down. I really, I really don't know. Bournemouth are the only one that I, I think will definitely go down. The rest, genuinely no idea because Fulham have started really well. Southampton have started better than I, much better than I expected them to. Um, Brentford have been amazing. Like I've, I've not got a clue. Okay. Um, my top four will be City, Arsenal, Liverpool, United. My bottom three will be Bournemouth, Forest, and I agree with Ali. I, I think I think Leicester are in a really, really, really bad spot, and I'm not sure if even sacking Rodgers will help them. It feels as though something almost catastrophic has gone on there where you feel as though even a change of manager ain't going to do it. Um, I could be wrong, but that's my feeling with that one uh okay what questions do we have left nick asks sketches by nick asks if you could relive any season from the beginning which one would it be and why lloyd repeat that that cut out for me if you could relive any season from the very beginning which one would it be and why 2012 Okay, and if you could drop one season and erase it from history, which one would it be, and why? Oh, uh, oh. you're too young for this question. Yeah, so <laughs> you've only I known joy. For me, for me, it's Stuart Pearce's year. Good when, job. When we, um, I had a season ticket that season. Well, I had a season ticket since two thousand and two thousand. Um, and I remember going to all the home games from Christmas and we didn't score um, and Barton top scored with five but I think for me it's closely followed by the last Pellegrini year which 
whilst um, obviously we were a lot better and we had good players, oh my God, it was painful watching us that year. And just like, I'm just getting visions of away at Southampton and Kolarov just like walking back. Mane scored that hat trick within about four minutes and oh. We were we were wretched that year. I know we still finished, I think, fourth, but fucking hell, we were bad. Uh, but yeah, I think Pierce's 2005 year takes a biscuit. Ali? Uh, Lloyd basically uh, chose the answer that I would have given. Um, if I, uh, In terms of the, the season I would want to, to relive, um, if I didn't know what was going to happen... Uh, then the, the first Aguero, 2012, definitely, um, okay. for the, for the drama of it. If I did know what was going to happen and I somehow was omniscient and, and had to enjoy it all over again, uh, then the, uh, Centurions year, uh, just to, to enjoy the football all over again would be massive. Um, I do remember the Stuart Pierce year at the other end, which God, it was dismal. Um, but also as a, just as a city fan, I, I really did not enjoy Pep Guardiola's first season at all. The year that Leicester won was great for the Premier League and it was, it was a fantastic Premier League season. Um, but some of the performances that um, I remember the, the games against, against Leicester, against Everton, some of the, the most depressing and, and dispiriting football, um, and I cannot believe like how badly I got it wrong when I was looking at like how, how things looked back in that season. Okay. Um, I think mine would be, uh, in terms of reliving a season, it would definitely be the Centurion season. Uh, I understand why you both picked 11-12, but, but for me, um, that was just... I, I don't know if I'll ever see City play football like that again. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I'll... Yeah, it just... It was... It was something beyond special. And I think if I could yard a season, it would probably be 96 because I think that was the beginning of... Uh, We're uh, always wrong. Yeah, yeah beginning <laughs> of a very, 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 very bad time. Um, so, yeah, that's probably the one that I would get rid of. Right. Um, there's a few questions around, you know, how the postponements are going to affect us in terms of... Uh, fixture pileups and all those kinds of things. I think it's just difficult to tell right now because I don't know if we'll have fixtures next weekend. We may well have fixtures next weekend, in which case there's only one that needs to be rearranged, so shouldn't be too bad. Um, right. Gentlemen, that was another Bumper Friday show. Um, Ali, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's been uh, good to be able to talk about football, if not watch it. I agree. Lloyd, thank you very much. Pleasure. So apologies to everyone for the chainsaw. <laughs> the yeah, if the, ch- if, if the chainsaw bothered you, please don't send us angry DMs. <laughs> Just it's quite hard know. to do things about these things. Yeah, yeah it's it's th- this is life sometimes. To everybody who listened, thank you very much. If you're not a member of the 9320 player, that's where you'll find lots and lots of podcasts like this one. So if you enjoyed this one, head over to 9320.com and sign up to the 9320 player. In the meantime, be safe, be well, and as always, up the blues.